Hi, and welcome to another episode with Lattice Training. Today, I'm talking to Joy Black. So Joy is a strength and conditioning coach who specializes in pregnancy and postpartum. And today we talk about some of the factors that play into strength training during pregnancy and during the postpartum period. It's really important to emphasize that Joy is not a physio. She's not a pelvic or women's health physio. She is a strength and conditioning coach. So we are primarily talking about things that apply once the initial postpartum recovery phase is complete. That is once you may be signed off from your physio to start training and climbing again. If you're interested to hear more about that initial recovery phase, then do check out the podcast that I recorded with Umi Health. I really enjoyed chatting to Joy and she has some amazing videos on her Instagram as well. So we will link to her handle in the show notes. Welcome, Joy. I am so, so excited to have you here chatting with us at Lattice Training. And first things first, really, I'm always so intrigued to know a little bit about people's personal journeys and just how they end up where they are. And I guess for you, what's really motivated you to work in this space, I guess, that is like pregnancy and postpartum athleticism? Yeah, so I guess... It, it kind of all evolved really organically. Um, I have been a trail runner for, I think, 18 years, long time, much longer than I've been a climber. And one of my friends who's also a trail runner suggested that I try rock climbing. And I had never even heard of rock climbing. Um, I actually thought it was like something only crazy people did, but I was like, well, I'm kind of crazy. So like, let's give it a shot. Uh, (laughs) Yes, it did. (laughs) Um, But I, I I literally just fell in love with it. I remember the first time I, I went to a gym uh, first and I just like, I didn't know you were supposed to climb the same colors or like, I didn't know anything. And I just was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And just like using every single hold on the wall and all this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I fell in love with it and I have been training people for 10 years. So, and I've also been climbing for about the same amount of time and it really just sort of evolved where I started training, um, doing some work at a bouldering gym and created a women's strength training group there because there really just wasn't a lot of community for women there. There was a lot of guys in the gym, but it was kind of like when you would see another girl, it was like, you know, like, oh, hi, <laughs> like, you know, so I just decided, I was like, we all need to get together. And then uh, we started training together. And so it, it honestly just evolved from there. And as I became Became more involved and serious, I'll say, with um, training people. Then I started to have women who were either pregnant, postpartum, and this is when I started working in a gym. But they would come into the gym, and I would have to train them. But I just I didn't have a lot of knowledge around it, and so I know a lot of women come to the pregnancy postpartum space because they wish they would have had that knowledge during their pregnancy. Um, 
I'm not really that way. So I had, I have a son who's 15. I have a daughter who's 15 months old. When I was pregnant with my son, I was very young and I actually, that pregnancy just kind of went fine, but I think I got lucky and I was also very young. Um, but mine really came, my want need to be in this space came from my lack of knowledge. And I was like, I don't, I really want to do a good job with these women, but I don't know how to. So I just started studying and then it really um, became very apparent to me after I had my daughter who she's 15 months old. And I was trying to, you know, kind of navigate coming back to climbing. Like there is nothing really for postpartum climbers. There's a lot for postpartum runners. There's some stuff for getting back into lifting postpartum, but as a whole, there's very little guidance out there for how to get back into climbing postpartum. So I decided that's what I was going to attack because I love climbing. I love working with that population and I've been lucky enough to have, you know, people like yourself um, just kind of give me a voice and platform and, and just really bring more information to, to the forefront about mm. all of this. Yeah, that's really interesting point you make, whereas like you were just wa- working with women in mm-hmm. the climbing community, in the gym. And I guess what I see from where I'm sitting um, and I guess working at Lattice as well is that we're at this point where more and more women are getting into climbing and, mm-hmm. you know, having a family is it's not something everyone chooses to do, but lots of people will choose to do. So mm-hmm. we are just like naturally coming into this time period, you know, from where there's been this more like boom of women into climbing, that they are starting to have children as mm-hmm. well and come out of it. And like you said, there is, I've chatted to quite a few climbers who maybe a bit more like you 15 years ago, they they went through pregnancy, they got back into climbing and they literally felt like there was absolutely nothing out there. And they're very much advocating for like wanting there to be better resources going forward. And yeah, you're a really big part of that, which is cool. Um, so you sort of mentioned that you like have been working training with people for a long time. And um, I guess from, from what I've seen and what I know of you, that is quite... Um, sits in that sort of strength and conditioning sort of um, mm-hmm. area. I I know that we've talked a little bit about, I guess in the space of pregnancy and postpartum, mm-hmm. PTs come into to play a lot and like women's mm-hmm. health physios. Um, and I know that you sort of really sit on that strength side of things rather than corrective. And I don't know, I just want wouldn't mind if you just like expanded a little bit on that for people. Yeah, sure. So um would it be helpful just kind of, maybe I'll just, would this seem appropriate just to explain like why I feel so strongly about strength training? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, okay. yeah, that's sort of um, yeah, what I'm getting at. Like you've obviously really gone for this strength training um, yes. side of things and weights, like sort of over maybe a more sort of corrective side of things mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, why you feel that's so important and maybe so important for women. So as a whole, I really don't feel like women lift heavy enough period. And I'm not sure if this is from thinking that they don't want to get bigger. They don't want to get bulkier, um, or that space is just not for them. Um, but I firmly believe that strength makes everything better. And I also, you know, 
I do not think that there is any standard of, well, if you can't do a 200 pound deadlift, then you're not strong. No, I, I don't think like that. I think it is very individual to the person, but that you need to understand kind of where your parameters around strength are. So maybe for you, it is a 200 pound deadlift, or maybe it is a 35 pound deadlift. So similar to climbing, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're climbing V10 or V1, you're both trying hard for you. Um, and just kind of keeping that in mind when it comes to strength training. And then especially during pregnancy and postpartum. So a lot of times we're not able to keep pursuing maybe our specific sport, whether it is climbing or running with the same intensity that we were before we got pregnant. But what we can do is during pregnancy, use it as an opportunity to work on our strength, because when you want to come back to your sport, since you have not been able to do it in the same capacity while you were pregnant, um, you're at a deficit, right? It just, it, it is the way it is. But if you have continued to maintain your strength or even work on areas of strength that you knew you were perhaps lacking in a little bit during pregnancy, you're going to be ahead of the curve when you want to come back. And you may even notice that, hey, certain things feel a lot better once you're kind of over that initial postpartum recovery period, because maybe you really worked on developing more strength in your hamstrings and you're like, oh gosh, like I actually do feel like I can, you know, pull when I want to heel hook now versus before you couldn't really feel that. Um, so that's honestly why I feel like it's, it's just so important because it is so beneficial mm -hmm. and you can lift with good form. Like that is a huge caveat. Like I am not advocating for anybody to just go start throwing around heavy weights. Um, that's not the way to do it. Um, but you can lift heavy for you with good form during your pregnancy. That is totally fine. There's some considerations to keep in mind, of course, but, um, being stronger is going to make you feel better while you're pregnant. It's going to make your postpartum journey easier. And as a whole, I feel like it's, it's really empowering as well. Yeah. And I think that last point is really good. I, I have not been through pregnancy or any postpartum return for climbing, but since I started weightlifting, which was a few years ago now, I found it really empowering for my climbing anyway, um, from a sort of body image, like function perspective, but also I've actually, you know, there's loads of injuries in climbing. I've been injured for a while and I did some weights and I noticed the difference so much when I returned. So yeah, I think, um, I think what you've done is just really neatly expanded that into the pregnancy and postpartum arena and been like, look, just because this is the population you sit in right now, it's still totally okay for you to do this. Um, and, you know, a big part of it, which I guess is where you come in as well, is is learning to do it correctly and just having mm -hmm. probably those, you know, those sort of like seeing it out there that it doesn't have to be these massive weights to start with, mm -hmm. you know, that everyone kind of starts somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah no. I think that that's really cool. It, it gives you this quite controlled environment, doesn't it? For when you can't climb and just do these wild movements and maybe just take your body through lots of different kind of positions really quickly. Maybe mm -hmm. you can't do that throughout your whole pregnancy, but what mm -hmm. you can do is work in this really controlled environment that actually allows you to still try really hard, which is what we yes. like. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that like feeds into the psychological aspect as well. So as climbers that we kind of 
like feed this need, right. Of this feeling of kind of, you know, whether it's like adrenaline, a sense of accomplishment, you know, getting scared and being like, I'm never doing this again. And then like, Oh, that's the most fun I ever had in my life. Like, you know, all those feelings that learning something new. And so this is an opportunity to learn something new. Um, Yeah. And you get, you can kind of feed that beast a little bit um, during pregnancy where you can't, you don't get that with your climbing. So, or not, you know, not as much as what you did before, just because of more than likely you're, mitigating a lot more risk than you were, uh, when you're not pregnant and whatnot. Um, but, and there's, you know, lots of ways to really weight training also does not have to be slow, heavy reps. You can definitely do things that are more of like an interval style, or honestly, uh, one of my favorite weight training moves, I don't even know if you call it that, but are really heavy kettlebell swings Mm -hmm. and like those get your heart rate up like (laughs) really crazy. Um, but that's not like, you know, you were saying it is controlled, but it's also uncontrolled, uh, sort of in a way, just because it's more dynamic, a little more ballistic. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there are lots of different variables across the spectrum when it comes to weight training. So just keeping in mind that it doesn't have to be just kind of like, you know, eight sets of 10 or, or I'm sorry, yeah, three sets which of 10 is, or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Which maybe sort of is what some people, it might put some people off because maybe they don't see the whole like variety that's there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess actually this sort of, I wanted to like bring this up with you. So we did a survey recently and you helped us with that. And one of the things that definitely came out of it when we looked at the responses was the idea of of training and of training your core, especially like with postpartum. And there was a lot of mention of like yoga and Pilates um, and certain like dead bug, you know, certain like basically body weight, should we say, floor mm-hmm. exercises. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but you often take a weight, you obviously take this approach of weights and being able to overload in that way uh-huh. and I guess I just wouldn't mind hearing um your rationale there or putting it forward for people because I guess from a training perspective I feel like I understand that but I think it's sort of an area that often other people don't understand so they maybe they see a lot of responses lean towards Pilates and yoga not saying there isn't a place for that yeah. at all but yeah, yeah. I think you so, sort of know what I'm getting at <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no 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 I get it so we got to think about what is the goal Okay. And if we are talking about climbers, I am assuming that your goal postpartum is to get back to your pre-pregnancy grade that you were climbing at, or maybe you would like to make that grade harder. Um, Or, you know, you just want to get back to like where you feel good climbing again. So that being said, our goal is not to be the best yogi. Our goal is not to be uh, you know, the most wonderful at Pilates where our goal is to get strong for climbing. So we have to make sure that we are doing things that lend itself towards that goal. So when we think about core exercises, just like you said, there's nothing wrong with yoga. There's nothing wrong with Pilates. And I think some of that kind of like dead bug stuff in the beginning is 
totally appropriate and fine because when you are early postpartum, so I'll say, uh, you know, maybe somewhere between like three to six weeks. And again, this is very individual. So I'm just making a broad kind of reference here. Um, but it's always best to be assessed by either women's physio, pelvic floor PT, wherever you're kind of listening to this, I refer them at, they're going to be able to tell you kind of like when you can start doing this stuff, but broadly, but somewhere between three and six weeks for vaginal birth, um, that dead bug stuff, totally appropriate, totally fine. Because the first thing you have to be able to start with is connection. So you have to learn how to reconnect, engaging your deep core musculature and either that dead bug or even some sideline things are very appropriate for that because you're in a position where there's less pressure, uh, being exerted and sideline is actually the position where there's the least amount of intra-abdominal pressure. So you have less to work against when you're trying to learn that reconnection. Okay. But once you've got that connection, you have to keep making it harder. And, um, oh gosh, I think this was like, maybe it was power climbing company. I can't remember. I read an article years ago and I was like, that makes so much sense. They were talking about when you are, um, trying to do something that's very uh, taxing on your core while you're climbing that a lot of times you're not failing because of your core endurance. It's your core strength that you just literally need more strength to be able to do what you're trying to do. So it was in an effort. They were saying, you know, there's no, like, instead of holding a plank for three minutes, let's do one minute and make it harder sort of thing. So it's literally kind of the same concept. Like we have to keep making it harder to keep loading that musculature and making it stronger. There are lots of difficult moves in Pilates. Like there's some that I definitely can't do because they are very difficult, but they are very Pilates specific. So you know, I'm not saying that Pilates can't translate to climbing. That's not what I'm saying, but we really want to keep in mind that the more, so at first we just start with general strength, but then as we're, um, you know, go through a couple of cycles of that, we need to get more sports specific with our core strength and dead bugs. You, you don't do a dead bug on the wall. <laughs> while you're climbing. So you have to really attack it in some ways that are going to lend itself to helping you back towards your goal, mm. um, which are probably not dead bugs. Yeah. <laughs> so does that answer yeah. the question? Yeah, definitely. I think it's that, it's that thing where I think because people understand it, like in training and climbing, like you said, like reading that power company or wherever anyone who's into training for climbing has read it, they will have read somewhere that you must progressively overload in order to get adaptations and to get mm -hmm. stronger. Right. I just think sometimes when there's something like, and we'll go on to this more probably pregnancy and postpartum, especially when there's that recovery element and maybe people are, there's not loads of information, you know, maybe people mm -hmm. are a bit unsure whether that still applies, but mm -hmm. I guess really where oh, you it definitely say, does. oh yeah it applies and if you don't continue to push yourself you won't get stronger and I guess within climbing normally there's sort of only so far you can often go with body body oh, yeah. weight and pilates and stuff so yeah not that it's not good at some point but right for sure right like, yeah like, at some point you just have to make it harder and then so I mean you know, and when we talk about like postpartum, so you have a very much graded return and 
It may be that the type of exercises, you don't progress them as fast or you don't load them up as fast or, you know, we increase volume before we increase load or just, it again, depends on the person. And is that connection still strong? Because that's one of the biggest things that we have to address is, are we using the right muscles to complete the tasks that we're trying to do? Because your body basically gets kind of out of touch with those muscles during pregnancy. They get, and I'm just kind of speaking to really like abdominal wall musculature that they get uh, very lengthened during pregnancy. And we know that we need to have optimal length tension relationship for a muscle to contract and produce the greatest force, greatest strength. Um, Um, And we lose that during pregnancy. So if we are not doing things using the right muscles and, and we're, and we're not using good form, then we're actually just continuing to kind of give feedback to these compensatory patterns. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that you have to make sure when you're progressing these things that it's awesome to progress it. And yes, you need to, but you need to progress it well. So you're not going to do anything by making something harder and you're not doing it well, that you would be better served by continuing to do what you were doing. And then maybe trying to um, manipulate one variable just a little bit more. You may have just like manipulated one thing just a little bit too much, but that's just like something you want to definitely keep in mind. Yeah. And I guess I think that weights, that's quite an easy thing to do with. It's very easy to be very gradual because you get small increments of weight. And also with the movements, it's often quite, you know, for someone like yourself, not for just anyone, for someone like yourself to assess those movement patterns Mm -hmm. patterns and musculature and Mm -hmm. enforce and, you know, make sure we're using the right things is probably quite easy. So you sort of touched on it uh, here. I definitely want to segue into, I guess, sort of the anatomy and some of those changes that go on in pregnancy and postpartum, because I guess it really forms the foundations of understanding the movements and what we need to strengthen when we come back. So you obviously just mentioned those lengthening of the muscles in the abdominal wall. Um, I guess, could you just talk us through a bit about, I guess, the the core of the abdominal wall is obviously a big one, like the pelvis, the ribs, the diaphragm. Um, Yeah, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'll try to make this not into like a whole other podcast answer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think it will help if I just kind of, describe what happens during pregnancy and then how that is impactful postpartum, uh, because I think that will, they'll just kind of like blend nicely together. So during pregnancy, we have a belly that continues to expand forward and down a little bit most of the time. And you can honestly kind of think of your body like a Jenga puzzle. So as one piece or those I think you guys have them over there, but like the block games where you have to stack the blocks on top of one another, you push one block out, then you kind of have to move one block back to make it stay balanced, right? So as this one part expands forward, usually we end up bringing some other parts back. As the belly comes forward, what happens is those lower, your your lower ribs that are in the front of your body, a lot of times they will flare up and out. And that's totally normal. It's to make room for the baby, for the uterus. But as those flare up and out, then your ribs in the back of your thorax, they will kind of come in, right? Because like the Jenga piece and then in the pelvis. So 
this is your, this is Lucille right here. This is her name. But so what happens is uh, if we're in a more uh, just neutral or kind of like posterior orientation prior to pregnancy, we will move into this orientation, which is an anterior orientation. An anterior, you can think of it like a bowl. Okay. So when you tip your bowl forward, so it just means anterior, it goes like this. And when you tip it posterior, you're tipping your bowl back and it means the pelvis does this. So a lot of times we move into a more anterior orientation during pregnancy, not always again, but like the majority of the time. Um, so so now a you, little bit like lordosis, isn't it? Just to some people who might connect with that kind of mm -hmm, wording. Yeah. And, and it depends like a lot of times it's so hard to just say like this causes this. Um, yes, but it can cause more lordosis in the low back, but a lot of times lordosis in the low back can also come from what's happening like up in the thorax. So just, just like to keep in mind for general, you know, um, information, but anyway, so now while we're pregnant, we have those flared ribs and we have a pelvis that's tipped forward. So if you think about just the angle of things in the front of your body, so on the top, it's pushing out and on the bottom, it is pushing down and out. So that creates more, that is literally like, you can see how everything gets lengthened even more. So than um, if, you know, if they weren't flared out your ribs and if the pelvis wasn't tipping forward. Okay. So we get that entire abdominal wall gets lengthened everything in there. So the deep core musculature, the superficial, superficial musculature, um, the oblique musculature, just literally everything. So when we, um, and also, yes, you asked about the diaphragm. So the diaphragm, when we change the shape of the ribs, the diaphragm is not able to make excursions or basically full ranges of motion like it used to um, due to the change in the shape of the ribs, but also literally you have a baby preventing it from moving down as much as it once could. So it's kind of like a double whammy there. And um, yeah, and that is, that affects a lot of different things because your diaphragm is very um, intimately involved with the ability to contract your core musculature. So just knowing that nothing that I'm talking about happens in isolation. It is all like a giant feedback loop and mechanism. And you really can't address one thing without addressing the others um, because it won't stick basically for a lack of better words. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say we've had baby. Now, when you have your baby, your ribs don't just magically move back down and your pelvis just doesn't magically move back into place. Uh, your, your anatomy has been like that for quite a while by the time that you have your baby. So we have to do some really purposeful work to get the ribs back into a position where the diaphragm, <coughs> excuse me, the diaphragm can also move better. And we have to do some purposeful work to reorient the pelvis. Um, and once those two are reoriented again, then you can kind of envision yourself in more of like a stacked position. So you're able to actually get your ribs stacked over your pelvis. And that means that you have a vertical line from, you know, in the, um, in your core musculature. So it's not in that lengthened state anymore. So you're, you're able to contract it, to use more strength, um, in your core. But if we don't address the ribs and the pelvis and you kind of stay in that lengthened state, State, it's going to be a lot harder 
um, to kind of get things back to where they were. Um, so anatomically, that's like very simply sort of what happens, but hopefully that paints a good picture of just sort of the things to keep in mind when you're working with a postpartum body or even, you know, people who are listening to this for their own body and they're like, well, um, I, I don't understand why I can't feel as strong as I used to or something like that. And like, I've tried all these different things, but have you actually tried addressing like the flare of your ribs? Have you actually tried working on the orientation of your pelvis? They are um, seemingly simple things, but they carry a lot, a lot of weight behind them when you're trying to address strength training. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important thing for people to go away with, because I think obviously you can go back into a sport like climbing. People love climbing and they think, well, I want to train for climbing. And I think that's where the postpartum thing, uh, understanding that change and the things Mm -hmm. that you actually need to target to have the biggest impact on you getting back to climbing. And I think actually just that understanding of the fact that when we do lengthen all those muscles in order to grow this baby, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing that the muscles just don't function optimally like that, but that they, A, will go back a certain amount themselves and B, I guess that you can then help strengthen them and bring them back into that like really good functional position where Mm -hmm. we can be really strong. And one other thing that I feel like most people only seem to even learn about when you get pregnant, like I've only really learned more about it since um, looking into this stuff is the pelvic floor. So I guess we've got that like very bottom of our core, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you want to just say a little bit about that? Because I guess that'll lead us really nicely into some of the things that pregnant climbers might want to think about in terms of adjusting their training throughout pregnancy. Yeah, no, I would love to. I'm all about talking about some pelvic floor. All right. (laughs) So we'll bring Lucille out back out here. Um, So that's uh, my pelvis. And so when, when we are talking about the pelvic floor, the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that actually lives at the very bottom of your pelvis. And some people actually refer to the pelvic floor as the pelvic diaphragm because it functions a lot in the same way that your respiratory diaphragm does as well. So the group of muscles at the bottom of the pelvis, the pelvic floor, pelvic diaphragm, they are like a hammock. And what they do is they literally keep the contents of your abdomen supported so that we don't have things falling out the bottom of our pelvis. So we can see why this is very important to have a strong pelvic floor. What happens during pregnancy, uh, a number of things happen. Number one, the pelvic floor has more demand on it just because number one of weight of baby amniotic fluid. Um, you also have increased blood volume. You also have weight gain. So there's just more demand on the pelvic floor in general. Also, what happens is like we discussed earlier with the anatomical just sort of ribs flaring, pelvis dumping forward, is that it is not, it is no longer in this optimal loaded position. So because the diaphragm, it can also not make a full excursion like it could before. So it does not load, it does not push the contents of your abdomen down um, in the way that it did before pregnancy. So every time we take a breath, the diaphragm, uh, respiratory diaphragm moves down when you inhale and it pushes the contents 
of all of your abdomen down to your pelvic floor and your pelvic floor, when you inhale, it moves down slightly and it kind of accepts all of that pressure, much like a spring would. So it gets loaded up on an inhale. And then when you exhale, your diaphragm moves up and your pelvic floor also moves up. And it just like a spring would, when you let the pressure off of it, it kind of like ideally that's what's happening. It, it, it moves back up because it doesn't have that pressure on it anymore, but that whole cycle just kind of gets disrupted during pregnancy because of the angle, the pelvic floor is being loaded at because it's got increased load. The diaphragm isn't making full excursion. So just understanding that all of this gets impacted. And we, I honestly truly believe that knowledge is half the battle when it comes to all of this stuff, because the more you understand about what's going on in your body, the more, you know, what kind of questions you need to ask, the more, you know, what kind of care you need to look for afterwards. Um, and it's just going to make you more empowered through the whole process. But so as far as kind of like knowing concerns about the pelvic floor during pregnancy, what we don't want to do is be trying to hold in our pelvic floor while we're doing um, any sort of exercises. So you should not be trying to contract your pelvic floor the whole time that you are lifting or the whole time that you are on the wall or anything like that. Your pelvic floor, you have to remember, is a group of muscles and it functions like any other muscle in your body. So if you just think of like your bicep, right? If you were to do a bicep curl and then you just held that weight and flexed your bicep at the top for an hour, what's going to happen? You're, I mean, you're just going to eventually just not be able to use your bicep anymore because it's going to be extremely fatigued. And, yeah. and then when you would, call on it to use yeah. it in another circumstance, it's not going to yeah. be working very well for you. No, it's not going to do anything because it is so tired. Your pelvic floor is the same. If you're trying to hold that pelvic floor the entire time that you're, let's say, doing a route or you're doing some sort of circuit and you're um, weight training, it's just going to get tired and it's not going to be able to support you like it should anymore. And your pelvic floor should reflexively support you. Um, and that just means that it should instinctually automatically respond to pressure. Again, this does get disrupted during pregnancy. And there are some times when it is appropriate to lift the pelvic floor through certain movements. So maybe that would be through like a heavier deadlift or something where you felt like you needed a little bit more support, but the only way to really have that like truly assessed is with a uh, pelvic floor physio and they can tell you like your pelvic floor, they will assess the strength, coordination and endurance of your pelvic floor because there's three different things that it needs to be able to do. And they can tell you if any one of those are lacking. Um, but in general, during pregnancy, we want to make sure that we're not feeling any feelings of heaviness um, in the pelvic floor. So that could feel like maybe kind of almost like a tampon is falling out or that there's just a, a weight in your pelvic floor. It doesn't feel quite right. Um, that could be signs that you're just putting a little bit too much pressure down on your pelvic floor. And that could be um, from the strategy that you're using with your breath while you're lifting or you're climbing. Another thing you want to look out out for is any sort of incontinence. So um, if you're peeing at all, it is a sign that 
your pelvic floor is not responding well to the demand that you are asking of it. It does not mean that you have hurt yourself. It doesn't mean that you've like ruined anything. That's not what it means at all. Um, Because I've had a lot of conversations with women that there's just a lot of fear around pelvic floor Mm -hmm. stuff, which I think part of that is just, we need to open up the conversation more about like, Hey, like it's not normal to pee your pants. That's not normal, but it also doesn't mean that you're ruined or there's something you don't have to just stop doing everything. No, no, not at all. A lot of times we can fix that with strategy where it's like, okay, so we need to make sure that you exhale or if it's something with box jumps, like, okay, maybe we do need you have to do a little gentle pelvic floor lift before you jump or something of that nature. But no, a lot of times it's not that you need to stop. Um, But right. So if you do notice while you're climbing that you're peeing or you're coming off a boulder and you're peeing, that is just, it is just a sign. It is a sign that, hey, something's not quite right here. And you don't want to ignore that sign. It would be the same thing as letting a little nagging shoulder thing just go and go and go. And then you're out for, you know, three months because you've got now a shoulder injury. Like we just don't want to let these little signs go because it's literally our body trying to talk to us and saying like, hey, I need some help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really nice, isn't it, to see it as more of like a troubleshooting opportunity Mm -hmm. to just take a look like what are you doing and what changes you can make and I think you've you've really nicely alluded to them there but maybe just for a bit more clarity for people who don't maybe you know understand it as much um because you've mentioned breathing a lot and I think it's really nice how you sort of talk about the connection between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor I guess almost as these two similar entities at the top and bottom maybe of the core um and you talk about maybe um having some proper breathing maybe even with certain climbing moves but maybe in your strength training that you're doing um and so what do I guess you actually mean by that like what part of the movement should people really look to be breathing on and should it be in or out or yeah. Oh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, because we don't want this to be a gray area. <laughs> yeah. so, right. So when we are talking about really being able to like specifically engage your deep core and making sure that we are giving the pelvic floor the right stimulus that it needs, excuse me, we want to think about exhale engage. Okay. So As I just kind of talked about before, the pelvic floor moves down with an inhale and it moves up with an exhale. So we always want to work with our body. You do not want to work against your body. So when the pelvic floor moves up, that is also when the transverse abdominus muscles, that's the deepest, most layer of your core musculature. And they wrap around your body, much like a belt or kind of like a corset would they wrap all the way from the front. They go, um, they actually have, um, points in the back. The muscle, um, has, gosh, I don't know what you call it, like intersegmental, I think in the back. So it, it provides a lot of low back stability as well, but that muscle, it contracts front to back. So anterior to posterior. And when you exhale, that muscle gently contracts as well. So when we are thinking about breathing while lifting, we want to make sure we're always working with our body, especially postpartum. We don't want to be holding our breath. I would say, 90% of the time in general, we don't want to be holding our breath, even if we're not postpartum, um, really doesn't become more beneficial until you get kind of like above an 80% max. 
um, for lifts. So that's honestly good advice in general is to not hold your breath while you're lifting, whether you are postpartum or you will never have a baby. <laughs> um, so let's just use a deadlift, for example, because I feel like that's a good one that everybody can understand. Um, so it's a basic hip hinge position. Now, when you're in the bottom of your deadlift, so let's say you just grabbed the barbell, what you're going to do there is you want to pre-tension your body. So we know that we don't pick the bell up off the floor, feeling all loosey goosey, and then just hope for the best, right? <laughs> so we grab the barbell and we're going to turn the lats on and we're going to get tension in the posterior chain. So glutes, hamstrings, and just kind of wedge the bell against the shins. And now we've got this good amount of tension in our body that we're ready to pull with. What you would want to do is start exhaling before you lift that bell off the ground, because when you do that, that exhale already starts to lift the pelvic floor before you begin to load it even more. You already start to engage the transverse abdominus muscles before you're even pulling that weight off the ground. So you would gently start that exhale. And, you know, this is like a, a half a second before or something like that. You're not going to fully exhale before you lift up. You just start about a half a second before and you will have learned how this feels through other movements before you're going to start doing this with a deadlift because it's really important that self-feedback and self-awareness of, okay, yes, I feel my deep core on. I know that I, I found my hamstrings, all that other stuff. So you've already learned all of that. And once you feel like, okay, yep, deep core is on, then you're going to continue to exhale as you pull the barbell up to the starting position. And in the top of your exhale, you should feel the deepest engagement with your deep core at that position, right? Because you have continued to engage as you pull the barbell up. So at that top point, then you have your deepest engagement there and you should feel really just stable and good. And then as you're coming back down, you can let some of that tension go as you inhale, uh, because it's, we need to breathe <laughs> obviously while we're lifting. Right. Um, but a lot of people run into then when they inhale, they'll just totally let everything go. And we don't want to do that because you're still under quite a bit of load. Um, so you, you learn how it feels to let about, you know, somewhere between like 20 to 50%. Again, it depends on what the load is, what you're doing, but you let a little bit of it go, but not all of it go. And then you just kind of repeat the process um, as far as the exhaling and like you, you move, you cycle, you think of it like a wave almost because you cycle between kind of gentle engagement to deeper engagement. And then you go back down and up and down and up as you're cycling through um, the weight uh, or the sets and reps. And then you would also just want to remember there's Another concept called tension to task, and that just basically means that you want the appropriate amount of tension for the task that you're asking your body to do. So if I were doing a heavy deadlift, I'm going to need a lot more tension. I'm going to recruit a lot more deep core than if I were just doing, um, let's just say a, a single leg body weight deadlift right? I don't need as much tension there. And we want to make sure that we're teaching our body how to self-regulate in that way. Uh, because we don't, we wouldn't use, you wouldn't use the same amount of try hard on your warm up as you do on your project. It's just kind yeah. of the same concept. Yeah. And that's, what's really important with what I get from some people. That's like, 
fear or not, you know, not maybe quite knowing how hard to try is that they maybe always try like really hard to like engage the core because Mm -hmm. they're scared that they might not engage it enough. And I think actually like whilst you've been talking, I don't know if anyone listening will do this. If you breathe out, like you can feel that deep core, like engaging, you know, you can feel the difference when you breathe, not doing anything, not doing a deadlift. And I guess it's a nice opportunity for people to like practice that a little bit before they approach the bar and like you know in some lighter sets like warm up because you're right it can be hard just to get it in time and to get that feeling Mm -hmm. for it and I guess like with a lot of things maybe say deadlifting during pregnancy maybe also not rushing those reps you know giving yourself Mm -hmm. that time to reset in between so that you can keep your breath in that rhythm is probably really useful I imagine. Yeah. And then the more you practice it, the more self-awareness you gain. So you can, you will know when you are engaging that muscle, when you need it more, when you are using it versus when you're just mindlessly sort of moving, which is not really good practice pregnant or not during weightlift. And we don't want to mindlessly, mindlessly be moving. Um, But if you're thinking about, um, so there's all sorts of layers to this and we could just go on and on, but with the exhale, a really good way to find and actually feel what your deep core kind of does is to use a long, soft sighing exhale. So If you're just kind of sitting there now, you can try it with me. So you would want to just like sit up straight. So make sure that your ribs aren't poking down into your stomach, your shoulders not slumped for. So you just kind of sit up straight and you're going to inhale through your nose. And then when you exhale, you want to open your mouth. So like you're trying to fog up a mirror and then you softly, slowly exhale all the air out. So you would think about exhaling for like five to 10 seconds or so. And as you do it, so we'll just do it together. So inhale through our nose. You're going to open your mouth and. And so keep going, keep going. What you should start to feel is this tension in your low abdomen towards the end of that exhale. And that is one of the ways that we can just kind of start to literally tell our brain, this is what that feels like. Um, So that's one of the things that you can start with when you're kind of thinking through like how to breathe with the deadlift and whatnot is just making sure like using that breath instead of, because if you use one that's a little more forceful, majority of the time, again, like there's always exceptions to the rule, but you tend to recruit a little more obliques than you do deep core. So that's just like, Oh, that's really interesting. So would that like sort of sighing breath be a good one to use in the deadlift itself as well as, as, as sort of a learning how it feels exercise, or does it not matter too much once you're actually sort of got Um, that feeling and that connection? So I think that you will probably not be able to (laughs) <laughs> or you will not want to do a deadlift that slow. But I think like for that pre-tension, it's a really good one because okay. you can pre-tension and then take another inhale without letting go of that pre-tension. And then just knowing as you pull the weight up that even um, you don't want to, a lot of times if we feel pressure in the cheeks, then that means it's a little too forceful and we might be recruiting a little more oblique. So you might, you're probably not going to be able to do that. Like that soft sigh through a heavier deadlift. Mm -hmm. Um, but you could definitely use a more open mouth exhale, which could definitely help. Yeah. 
Cool. Um, and I think the way you've explained that with the deadlift, um, hopefully for everyone listening, for me, definitely it's sort of, um, I think that carries quite easily over to a lot of other movements. And I think mm-hmm. the point that um, you mentioned, which I hadn't maybe actually quite thought about, is actually just starting that breath, that timing of it a little just before you do the mm-hmm. movement. Um, yeah, that sounds like a really good sort of like way to like cue it in and remember. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of the lifting like a deadlift and stuff a lot of then the adjustments that people might make I I guess I don't quite know how this changes over pregnancy is maybe to reduce the load a bit you know to go with what feels good for your body is there any more sort of form-based adjustments to movements that you find really useful for climbers to keep up the weightlifting you know as long as possible into the pregnancy obviously you're growing, you know, your body is changing, you're growing a bump, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of things you can do. So for the deadlift, you can reduce the load. Um, and that just may feel more comfortable. Like we might could move from loads that are less reps into, um, loads that are less reps, heavier into like higher reps, less load sort of thing. You can also change the position. So if you're using a kettlebell, for instance, so you can put the kettlebell up on a box because that can kind of help. Sometimes we're literally towards the third trimester, the bump can get in the way of the hinge. So you're not having to hinge quite as deeply to get to the bottom of the movement. Um, and then I think that for climbers, the more we can do movements that are going to enable you to keep producing tension is key. Um, So, and, you know, and those really most of the time translate to compound movements. So, you know, deadlifts or squats or ones that I honestly love for climbers are inverted rows, like the suspension inverted rows, um, because pull-ups are, I don't, it depends on the climber, but I don't think that there's a lot of value of doing those, um, really far into the pregnancy. I think that you can get a lot of benefit if you're worried about your pull strength. I can promise you, actually, if you're a climber, then you probably, you don't need more pull strength. You probably need a little more kind of accessory work, but we do want to keep that high. Um, and you will get a lot more benefit from doing something that is, um, enabling you to use muscles, uh, in a better, in a better movement pattern than a pull-up. Um, you do not have the ability to contract your core in the same way. And we know that we need a lot of core strength um, to do pull-ups and, and you, you just can't. Um, you can't hold that hollow body position anatomically. You're not there anymore. Um, anyway, so the more that we can do to keep climbers in a position where they're able to kind of get the pelvis under them a little bit more, let the ribs settle down as much as they can, the better off you're going to be, because that is how you're going to maximize their ability to recruit their deep core musculature to actually get some hamstrings on so that, because we think about things that fire together, wire together. So if we're getting those things to fire together while you're moving, then that pattern is going to come back more quickly postpartum. So it feels more familiar. And again, that really translates to the wall because we need tons of tension on the wall. Um, So that's kind of like the thing that I keep in mind. We do want to remember that with rotation, 
especially towards the end of pregnancy, we want to keep the shoulders and the hips moving together. We don't normally like to dissociate the two just because we have this like conjoined belly. That's not really going to allow us to do that, but you can still train rotation. You just need to move the shoulders and the hips together, um, as one. So that's another good one that a lot of times gets left out, but is really good to keep in a program, especially for climbers. Yeah, for sure. Because I guess we'll come on to this, but twisting is one of those things when you're coming back into climbing. So I guess we'll maybe sort of slightly move on to the other side of of childbirth and um, yeah. coming back into it. And, you know, twisting is everywhere in climbing. We do so much twisting. And I guess the more, I guess, relatively detrained that has become because you've mm-hmm. not been able to do it in later pregnancy, the harder that will be. So that's actually a really interesting one because I think probably a lot of people might not know that they could keep that up or not know how to. Um, mm-hmm. So knowing that that can be adjusted and there is ways to do it is, um, yeah, it's really good. Um, so we're out the other side, you've got a newborn baby. Um, this is where I think that um, the resources you're putting out are great because if someone's following you now, they will have already understand some of, you know, built a bit of a foundation of understanding their breathing and how to breathe with movement and know a bit of a baseline because I can imagine that feels pretty different once you've had your baby mm-hmm. um so breathing gets talked about a lot as like kind of that first port of call of like trying to reconnect after having um your baby so I imagine this is maybe feels quite different and are there any sort of like, is it different? Is it just the same? And how do you sort of form that reconnect to kind of start things going? Yeah, that's a great question. So honestly, I think it depends. It depends on the pregnancy. It depends how you carried the baby. It depends what you did during your pregnancy. So if you didn't practice any of the breathing stuff, we'll just say um, it is going to be a lot harder to connect postpartum. And that's one of the benefits to even having some knowledge about this prior to giving birth is being able to practice that. And again, things that fire together, wire together. So you've already got that neural connection. Um, and then you just need to work more on a strength pattern postpartum, but Um, It does feel different because your body is in a different place. And I always like to tell the athletes that I work with, you're never going to get your body back. And that's, I don't mean that in an aesthetic way, but that is the honest truth that after you are pregnant and you have given birth, whether it is vaginal or C-section, your body is never the same. That does not mean that your body cannot perform the same. It does not mean that at all but literally you're not getting the same body back. So we do kind of have to think about it in a way as working with a, something that is new to us. Um, and we have to get to know it again. We have to learn how, you know, maybe the same things that you were able to think about to activate your deep core during pregnancy or the same kind of cues, they won't work anymore. And we have to find some new ones and that's totally fine. Um, so just kind of keeping that in mind that you are working with a new body and learning to understand that body, learning how that body moves, learning what that body needs. Um, if we just kind of look at at it more exploratory versus discouraging that, gosh, it just doesn't do this the same.
same way. Well, you don't have the same body. So of course it doesn't do it the same way. Um, and again, mindset, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard. It is hard to do. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm just like, oh yeah, just do it. It's fine. It's easy. It's, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. You're not because, devaluing it at all. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not easy at all. And it's something that I struggle with a lot still, but just trying to reframe it in your mind is that it's like, okay, let me learn instead of just trying to be like square peg round hole. Why won't this work? (laughs) Trying to hammer in doing the same thing in the same way. So, you know, let me learn. And then you'll discover at the more you learn about your body, the more you understand what that connection feels like, the faster you will be able to progress. So it serves you a lot better to actually like be curious about your new body, learn how to work with it instead of against it or for it into this old way or old patterns that you had that may not serve you as well anymore. Um, because then you will gain strength faster and you will get back to feeling like, you know, your old try hard self a lot quicker than if you didn't approach it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. You actually um, have mentioned something when we've um, talked before about strengthening from the inside out. And I think I quite like that because I can completely imagine a scenario where, you try to reconnect with your breath, your body feels different and it's sort of frustrating. So you skip that step and you start strengthening, trying to strengthen from the outside in, doing weights, like doing all this sort of stuff that's quite external to you, but ultimately you've slightly missed a step of building that Mm -hmm. foundation. Um, Given that it does seem sound like, well, maybe for some people quite a hard thing to reconnect with their breath, Mm -hmm. maybe quite initially postpartum, is there any particular things that people should be trying to do in terms of, you know, people talk about diaphragmatic breathing versus, you know, belly breathing, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I think like for me, and I can get into like a just more kind of like specific sort of ways to think about it and go through it, but you want to understand the point of it. Like, why are we having you do this diaphragmatic breath work? And you know, of course there are benefits for the central nervous system, all that sort of stuff, but there is a point to it beyond just breathing. And the point is that we are trying to get the ribs in a better position. We're trying to get the pelvis in a better position so that you can work on your core strength and you should not be having to do targeted breath work for the next five years of your life after a baby. It's a very short period of time. And just like with strength training, honestly, you can also progress your breath work towards like more difficult breathing drills where once you can connect in one position, well, then let's make it a little bit harder and have you connect in the next position in the next. Um, So it, it, you know, I think for me, uh, coming from a more kind of like athlete mindset, understanding the point behind it all, because if somebody were to just be like, okay, Joy, just lay on the floor and breathe, I would be like, this is not this boring. I'm not doing this. <laughs> like, this isn't I helping me. Get, yeah, I'm like, this isn't helping me get any better. Because if I don't think it's helping me get better, I'm not inclined to do it. But yeah. understanding, okay, no, this is helping me 
learn how to reconnect with my deep core because I want to be able to do deadlifts. I want to be able to do kettlebell swings. I want to be able to send my project eventually, like all of these things. And just understanding that this is part of that recipe to get to that. Mm -hmm. So um, like really specific things that you can do. Diaphragmatic breathing just refers to getting full excursions of the diaphragm up and down. And we've been through, you know, kind of the feedback that it gives everything else while we're doing that. Um, but the thing we want to remember postpartum is that if we can start to breathe through getting more excursion of the diaphragm with literally every breath we take, then we are impacting, we're giving that feedback a positive loop and you breathe 20,000 plus times a day. So it's like, if we could get that positive feedback, gentle stimulus that many times a day, you're just getting that much further ahead, like every single time. So there is like targeted breath work. And then there is more just kind of passive breathing. And when we use targeted breath work, that's aimed at making our passive breathing better as well. So again, we're getting that more positive feedback loop all the time. And then it just gets easier and easier. And it, and it kind of compo compounds itself, the benefits of having done the targeted stuff that makes the passive stuff better. And then you're in a better position overall when you go to strength train and it just lends itself to like feeling really good. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think it's a nice way to think about it because I'm completely with you. If someone just told me to lie down and breathe and then maybe try kneeling and breathing and then maybe try, you know, doing it in like some different positions. Boring. <laughs> I might find it boring, but I also can completely see that it can be really overwhelming to be like, I want to get back to this end point that is climbing. And should I do pull up? Should I do breathing? Should I do core? And I think when you can just take a step back and look at one thing first, that can also be, um, you know, really useful, especially for a new parent who, let's face it, has loads of other things on their plate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think like, you know, one postpartum client I'm thinking of right now in particular, she was very, um, very passionate about getting back to doing pull-ups mm -hmm. and, but there are a lot of things that go into pull-ups and that's not one of the first exercises you want to jump into postpartum period. Um, so, and we have to know how to breathe through the pull-up if we're still working on kind of rehabbing core strength and all that stuff. So we worked through the breath work on the ground, you know, for several weeks and then progressively kind of overloaded that. And um, by the time we got her up to the bar doing the pull-ups, she understood exactly what to do when she was in that position because she had practiced it so many times. And had we have not practiced it in the ways that we did, it would have been a lot harder for her to actually connect, recruit those muscles and do the movement in a way that was going to make her stronger because she's using very good biomechanics on the bar um, to do it. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I think that applies to a lot in training and climbing, but a really useful approach, I imagine, postpartum is like taking that end goal, that thing the person really cares about or wants to get back to and working back to a point. So you've got mm -hmm. all those ingredients and like stepping stones to get there. And yeah. um, something that I see a lot, and this is in the training world, but also in the sort of like pregnancy, postpartum athleticism sort of sphere is the words strength and stability and 
I think everyone can sometimes slightly form their own understanding of terms, but I think I'd just be interested to know your take on those and what we're working if we're working strength versus stability and what that means for a postpartum body. Yeah. So this is a really interesting one. And I don't know that I have like ever actually given a lot of directed thought to this. And it could be that, you know, the, the joy, the trainer in five years completely changes my mind about what I'm getting ready to say, but that's okay. I'm proud to say I've changed my mind about a lot of stuff and I'm a much better trainer for it. Um, but this is, this is what I think. I honestly think that strength is stability, right? Because if you are very, if you're in trying to do something that's very unstable, you need the strength to support it. So when we are working on strength, we are inherently working on stability at the same time. Right. So the stronger we are, the more equipped we are to deal with whatever sort of unstable stimulus gets thrown at us. Um, if we need to go dynamically for a hold and let's say we swing out, well, if we don't have the strength in our core, in our back to control that swing, yes, we're moving like unstable through the air, but the more strength that we have to kind of counteract that instability, the more likely we are to, you know, stick the move, get back on the wall and continue climbing. Um, now, when we talk about it postpartum, you, so if we are still breastfeeding and there's a lot of variables in there, you still have some relaxing in your body and you're actually very unstable to begin with because your pelvis has been widened during pregnancy. If you had a vaginal birth, there could be even more widening of the pelvis. Um, and our ligaments are still pretty lax, um, just from, you know, being pregnant and it's just part of what happens. Um, so I don't feel like training, throwing an unstable stimulus into postpartum training is really beneficial. I think that if you wanted to work on stability postpartum, the best thing you can do, number one, is just start strength training. But if you wanted to target that specifically, then I think using isometrics would be the best way to do it. So isometrics just means holding a position, um, instead of moving through a range of motion. So let's just say like a split squat, for instance, because that can be challenging balance wise, because we've split the feet apart. So it's basically like a, like a lunge. Um, but you aren't coming back and forth with either the front or the back leg, you keep both of the legs stable and then you come down. So if you were in that split squat position, and then I asked you to go to the mid range of the split squat and stay there <laughs> for a prescribed length of time you are going to have to fire all sorts of little stabilizing muscles while you're doing that to stay in that one position. So that would be how I would approach um, kind of adding some instability, if you will, into someone's training program postpartum, because I don't think that standing on a BOSU ball or one of those, you know, unstable surfaces, like that's just not going to serve you that well. Like you would be way better off to do a heavier goblet squat and get a load that way and move in a really good movement pattern than you are to add that instability into there. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that was, yeah, like um, exactly sort of how I think about it. Because I think they're just words that are just sort of thrown around and they're pretty interchangeable. And like you said, they're, they're very directly linked. Yeah. But I guess what somewhere where we do often think about it 
is like in an actual exercise. And I guess often that's like a, a unilateral versus bilateral mm-hmm. type thing. And I guess what you're sort of getting at, and I think you've explained really nicely there, is that bringing instability into something is a way to potentially pro- progress an exercise or choose a certain exercise or stability maybe the direction you go which will allow you to carry more load because it is a stable mm-hmm. thing and I yeah. think that um it, this makes sense to me as well I guess for you you're saying well your all might be a little bit unstable anyway so actually going mm-hmm. for quite a stable exercise where instead you can look to load something up could be a like a better way to go postpartum might feel yeah. a bit better yeah um, like I would challenge the position right? So like that split squat position is fairly challenging just to hold isometrically. Or if we think about, um, kind of like the first part of a Turkish get up with a kettlebell, some people call Mm -hmm. them kettlebell arm bars, but you just hold the kettlebell overhead. Um, but you're, you're just holding it there isometrically, right. But you're on the ground. Um, so then you're, you're firing, you're, you're using the shoulder joint, but in a way that's still sort of loaded up and you're not, um, I don't know, there's all sorts of like implements and tools, like these, uh, bouncy kind of like bars and stuff that you can use. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I would rather get more bang for my buck and like kind of load it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> use that isometric position and create strength and stability, uh, at the same time. That way. Yeah. And I think it, it maybe even comes back into your point right at the start where you're like, you don't see maybe as many women lifting as heavy as they should. And people instead are doing like instability, you know, like, yeah, like mm-hmm. that sort of more like therabands or wobbly yeah. weights or something. Um, and yeah, just maybe actually <laughs> just strength is key. And um, so I we've sort of touched on basically the fact there's just a number of ways to progress things. And this would be for anyone looking to strength train, right? But we're kind of looking at um, postpartum. So we've looked at sort of like instability, load. I know you often do things with like tempo or maybe Mm -hmm. you'll look to increase a range of movement. And I don't know, I just wonder if you could run through this for people because I guess a feeling or a sense that I get and maybe from our survey responses as well is that people just don't know the extent to which you can change an exercise um and like let's face it maybe once you've got a baby you don't have the time to look it up <laughs> no oh gosh no you don't <laughs> I'll go ahead and answer that for you like and then if you do try and look it up Google is a scary place and it's yeah. just and I don't know if there's any that you sort of lean towards like first yeah. before you move into yeah so like specifically referring to postpartum I don't. So once I find a load that I'm kind of happy with for that person, that it doesn't feel like I don't feel like it's too light. It's still, you know, moderately challenging or form is good. I'm not going to increase that. That's not going to be the first variable I change right away. So you can increase volume, which just means the number of reps that you're doing, or you could add another set in. Um, You can also increase or 
manipulate the tempo. And when you're talking about manipulating tempo, that means changing the speed of the exercise. You can change the speed of the up. You can change the speed of the down. You can change kind of the sticking point. If we were thinking about a squat, right? Like you could have somebody hold in the bottom for three counts, or you can manipulate all three of those um, at the same time. So it just depends on what the goal is, kind of like where I think the most strength is needed, but that's a really good way to increase the challenge without increasing the load. So that's, those are two that I think are really good to play with once you are at a load that is challenging. So the way that I like to tell people to figure out, is this hard enough? Is if I ask you to do eight reps, and you did eight and you're like, I could have done four more or I could have done eight more. Absolutely not heavy enough, period. If I ask you to do eight and you get to number three or four and you're like, oh my God, I, I'm done, way too heavy, right? We want it to be by rep like six, seven or eight. You should start to be like, okay, I'm kind of ready to be done. Um, I often tell my athletes, I would much rather you do six or seven reps and say, I can't do eight versus be able to do 12. Um, because that means that we're in that sweet spot. That means that we've got the right amount of weight. So once you feel like you've found what that challenging weight is for you, what that sweet spot is, then play with the variables before you increase the load again. Um, and, you know, we can also intermix the two. So I know like one of my athletes right now, she's really working on, um, she wants to get a heavier strict press. And she likes to work with kettlebells and kettlebells they you can't add one pound to a kettlebell. They don't come in like those sizes yeah. and increments. So, you know, we can't just say, well, here, here's a kettlebell that's four kilograms heavier. Like that's just not going to work. So like what we've been doing is working with like mixing in um, a push press after the strict press and then trying to get more reps of that. And then we'll just move to like more push presses. And then anyway, so all of these variables that you can manipulate, they don't just always have to be load. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think it's really nice from a, well, a, as a point of like, consolidating and as just a way of making that overload nicely gradual postpartum mm -hmm. because I think as soon as you start to like increment load up you know at a certain you know graduation then you do maybe run into the risk of overloading you know because mm -hmm. we're not the same every week so you sort of probably want to consolidate at a certain mm -hmm. load before you increase it so yes. playing around with tempo and stuff gives you that opportunity and your body that opportunity to be like yes we have actually been okay at this load for mm -hmm. a few weeks in these yep. number of different ways so yes mm -hmm. I think we can increase it now yeah, um, yeah. So something you mentioned um, which I thought was really cool actually was the challenge level and obviously really trying to find a proper, a good challenge level. And I think a trap that I think people could easily fall into postpartum after obviously, you know, that initial recovery bit, I think we're, we're very yeah. much talking about a slightly later postpartum, you know, return to training and climbing here. Um, it's potentially doing things too easy. And if we don't provide muscles and connective tissues with a challenging enough stimulus, they, they don't respond. They don't really do much because right. they're like, yeah, we've got this, no need to change to be able to handle this load. Um, and so you talked about finding that sweet spot and challenge level. Out of interest, what do you measure that by? Like, are people just generally quite good at knowing their body and being like, 
yeah, that's enough. Or because I, I guess I also, as much as we want to find the right challenge level, I imagine they're not like trying hard in the same way as they were like pre-pregnancy or maybe they are. I don't know. Gosh, that one I feel like is really individual because it can go both ways. So I have someone that I work with that she will tell me that it's not hard, um, but I know it's too hard. Yeah. Like, so is there something you're seeing yeah. there? I guess that's what I'm wondering, you know, yeah. like someone might try, you know, this is very like molded by our perception of what mm-hmm. trying hard is and mm-hmm. also just how we feel in our body. And yeah, like what, what, what are those, maybe those signs that you're like, no, no, that's definitely hard enough for you. Yeah. Um. So if you're, if I'm watching somebody, it's going to be their form or when I see that their work capacity has just started to greatly diminish, if we're working on something that's more power oriented and I could just tell it's not that snappiness, you know, is not there anymore, then, you know, I'll call it because I can visually see um, what is going on. So now if I'm not watching somebody, I have to depend on their feedback. And this is part of just my expectation of them as a client is that, it doesn't, it's not helping anybody if we're not being honest. Right. And there's no, there's no judgment here. Like, I think that's a big thing that there's a no lot trophy of, for pushing. No, no. And a lot of women feel like that, well, this shouldn't feel hard. So I'm, I'm just going to say it wasn't hard because this wasn't hard before I was pregnant. So this shouldn't feel hard now or something like that. Um, or they, you know, will get really excited because something that was a you know, it was harder, like finally started to feel a little easier. And then they're like, well, I'm just gonna do everything that hard. Like, so we just kind of have to really play around. And this is where it comes to it's your, if your coach knows you as a person, it helps a lot more versus just kind of like them being a workout giver, because you'll feel more open to communicating with them of, oh no, actually like that did feel quite hard. Or, um, you know, I feel like I could step my training up a little bit and, you know, then your coach can either say, okay, you know what, we'll give it a shot or actually, no, I don't think it's the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, so I think again, like it just really comes back to a lot of client coach relationship and them trusting you. But then also with the athlete, if they don't have a coach, just understanding in their mind that there are no expectations that they don't have to say, well, just because this was, you know, let's just say five, eight, that like, it's okay. If it feels hard, like that's all right. And you're still trying hard, which is getting you towards your goal, but saying that this doesn't feel hard and then having expectations that like, well, now I'm just going to go send this five ten then we might just end up getting disappointed, feeling discouraged. So in the long run, it doesn't really help us towards our goal, like not being um, honest with ourselves about like what's feeling hard or what's not. Um, And I think, yeah, a lot of it's dealing with expectations too. Yeah. 
for sure. And I think that's like a massive part of it that I'm going to just put to one side for a bit because we're going to come mm-hmm. back to that as like a whole thing. In itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I think that's actually something also that's quite nice about like those sort of weighted exercises and thing it's because there is a form that you can see you can often see exertion you know you can see if it's hard or if it's not yeah and um, something I've uh because I definitely am probably someone who would love to just push it every session you know yeah. um and with like when I've just been rehabbing say like a finger injury or something and it's where I've gone wrong in the past but now what I tell myself is once I do a session which obviously there will come a time you'll do a session and you'll be like yeah, that was pretty manageable, actually. I say, well, I could push it next session. Or what is the harm in just doing that load for one more session before then changing it? And like, I guess what I've generally found is that I more likely get to my end point quicker because I don't relapse or have to take a step back. And there's just it as much as you want to push your body and give that stimulus rushing is often just means that you then maybe have to take a week off you know because you did a bit much and I can just imagine the same sort of thing oh it's absolutely the same and I think what happens is that you if you are an athlete just much like yourself or or me you have to have some experiences where not rushing prove to be more beneficial than rushing because then you actually understand, oh, when I rested for those two days, I came back and felt a lot better versus like I tried hard every day and I just feel run down. Um, so the more we can kind of have some positive experiences around that as an athlete where, you know, slow is fast, right? Because slow means that we don't backtrack. But when we try to do things faster, then it's more of a zigzag pattern Yeah, where we want things to be as linear as possible. Like we don't want to zigzag. So, yeah. yeah. And that's what obviously having someone um, like a, a coach type relationship, someone might work with you is great. Or just maybe this is where if people either can't have that or don't want that, talking to their partner or talking to friends, you know, mm-hmm. sharing where you're at. Yeah. Because someone, you don't have to be a coach to say, Maybe just take, yeah, maybe you should just try and do it at that weight, like one more session. (laughs) You don't have to necessarily be a professional and hopefully just like making it more normalized to train postpartum and to want to get back to to that will just mean that people talk about it more and will get that feedback from their partners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then also, I really think that if you've never kept a training journal, that is something that is highly valuable just to keep track of what you're doing, because you may say, well, I did this weight last week. So I'm just going to put more weight on there. And then, you know, you do that for like five weeks in a row, but you know, you, you should kind of be able to see like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. And like, you can kind of look back and maybe you do a workout and you feel really horrible afterwards. You're like, that is way too much. If you actually have down in your journal, what you did, then you can moderate that when you come back the next time and help you understand a little bit more about your training, about your body. Um, So that can be a really valuable tool. If you don't have a coach um, or somebody that's working with you, that will help you to understand more about what you're actually asking your body to do and what kind of results is it producing 
yeah and even if you work with a coach I think it's a very good way to be able to look back a bit more objectively you know like mm-hmm. our memory really warps <laughs> as, yeah. as time oh, yeah. goes by and so yeah I think if you've not done that before for sure I think that would be a really good thing um so I guess there's one uh, last movement that I think is interesting because you did touch on it before before we maybe move on to some slightly more like mindset psychology stuff and that is twisting because you mentioned that and in the survey twisting steep climbing for sure came up loads steep climbing I feel like we've really looked at you know with the core it's it's all pretty obvious most people know about that Um, but with the twisting you explained really nicely obviously how your that sort of thorax your chest and pelvis become a bit linked in later pregnancy Mm -hmm. because you are bigger and you have the baby um how might people go about bringing this back in in terms of strengthening that more like mm-hmm. twisting side? Because I guess we've talked quite a bit about like deadlift, squats, things yeah. that are obviously really good for the core, but they don't have that twisting component. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think one thing that's really interesting to understand about the twisting is why. And this is something that I learned a little while back. And I think it's just like, so kind of the nerdy trainer part of me thinks it's so cool. So your connective tissue called your linea alba, that's in between your rectus abdominis or your six pack muscles, the orientation of the fibers in that linea alba in that connective tissue is actually in a cross hatch pattern. So it diagonally goes down. And that is one of the big reasons that we want to train rotation postpartum is because when we train in the orientation that directly stimulates the fibers where going to be able to gain more strength and we want the linea alba. Um, so that is that connective tissue can help to bring the rectus abdominal muscles back together postpartum. And we also need tension and strength there. Um, so that's literally one of the main reasons that we want to train rotation postpartum, which I just think is like really cool to be able to know that like, Oh, actually like that's the way my muscle fibers are oriented. So I'm directly. Yeah. I didn't know that. that. That's cool. Yeah. 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 It is pretty cool. Uh, there are different, like just like there are different layers to the linea alba and some layers have less crosshatch pattern than others. But as a whole, (laughs) there is a lot of crosshatch orientation going on in the fibers of the linea alba. Um, So a good way to kind of like think about this postpartum is that first we want to start with connection through rotation. So that would be um, thinking about kind of like uh, using a light band and you could do it in a tall kneeling position. I would do it in tall kneeling before I did standing just because you're taking a little more um, of the instability out of it where we don't have to navigate quite as much um, just just sort of movement as if we were standing. So your tall kneeling, that's going to allow you to get your pelvis underneath your ribs and you're just going to exhale and connect as you bring a band. So if I'm reaching up and above my right shoulder, I would want tension on that band. And then as I exhale, I'm going to bring the band in a diagonal motion across across my body and down. Um, you could also, um, use it where you bring the band, um, right in front of your sternum and then kind of twist to the side. But I really like more of that diagonal sort of pattern for literally the reason that I just explained. Um, so you would start with a band first, and then I would use a pretty easy band, like 
the challenge in the very beginning should be the connection. The challenge should not be the resistance or the load. Once you have mastered the connection and you're like, all right, it's there, then it's time to start challenging the resistance or the load. So once you've got that connection with the light resistance, then you could move to maybe a little bit heavier band. And then I might would move to like half kneeling. So now you're like, we kind of talked through before, we're adding just a bit of instability there because you're in this half kneeling position. Um, then what we could start to do is uh, you could do it standing up. Then I would start to really add in some more load to it. So ditch the band, bye-bye bands. And we could do, um, you know, something with a kettlebell where we're doing like a rotational press and you're going through a hinge pattern and then you come up and through your body into a rotating pressing pattern. And that's really nice because you're getting that powerful hinge, you're rotating through the entire body and then you're pressing up and you're able to really start to breathe, exhale, connect with a more athletic feeling movement. Um, I'm not saying bands aren't athletic, but there's just a different feeling of exertion that you get when you're working with um, a kettlebell or a little bit, you could even do that with a dumbbell, a little bit heavier load. And then I think what sometimes we really miss the mark on is training dynamic rotation. So this is something you can do with like a slam ball or a medicine ball, but it's got some weight to it. So not like a beach ball. So, you know, something that it takes a little bit of effort to throw down, but it's going to bounce back up when you throw it down. And we can train that just moving, taking the ball overhead, rotating to one side and slamming it down, catching it and going back to the other side. We can do it, um, you know, half kneeling. If we kind of want to start with some of those progressions again, where you're taking the ball away from the wall and then you rotate it and slam towards the wall and catch it. Um, and then moving into more where we're even using um, some kind of like, steps towards the wall with it, but then really rotating. Um, because as climbers, we need to be able to control rotation, both statically and dynamically. So we need to have that ability. So I think the more kind of dynamic with the medicine ball, you don't have to wait until six months or a year postpartum to start throwing that in. Like, I think you have to know like, all right, we've got good connection. We've started to load a little bit more, go ahead and start throwing some of that more dynamic stuff in there because it's going to train your muscles to, um, just to, to that stimulus of like starting to develop some power because we don't, you know, I don't think any good climbing training program would just ignore power for a year. Like we don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also like once people are back to climbing and pushing it a little bit, they will be doing some of these movements. Mm -hmm. They just may have not supported it with some right. good preparation before going into it. And yeah. I think you're right. I think that people might look at that and think, whoa, I don't know about doing that exercise yet they might very happily go to the wall and be pushing right. it on the wall. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. And I think you've shown a really nice progression of ideas and I'm always with you, like bands, like connecting such a great place to start, but ultimately climbing is a body weight sport and that's what we want to get back to and often those bands do not provide a force that I guess is probably going to truly mimic what we might we might do right. or just climbing. it might not be enough stimulation yeah to like sort of create the strength yeah um that's really cool um so I guess in terms of just just revisiting the um sort of steepness something I think you're really good on on your Instagram is your glutes so I think people think about core and they think about sit-ups and like 
even if they think about like some of the more like uh, advanced core exercises, I think it's easy to forget that a lot of actually keeping your feet on the wall when we climb a steep thing comes from your glutes. So oh, yeah. I don't know. Do you just want to like sing praises to the glutes for a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how about we, is it okay if just to like touch on like glutes and hamstrings? Yeah, Would yeah, that be? for sure. Yeah, because sure. yeah. I think that's like a lot of times we miss the mark there. Um, climbers in general, but also definitely postpartum because when we think about steep climbing in particular or tension on the wall, yes, we need good strength in our core to be able to hold the hips into the wall, but it's not like the tension just ends at your hips. Like you have to have tension from the fingertips to the toes and where are you generating your tension in your legs? And that's through your hamstrings. So we have to address that postpartum or, you know, climbers in general, but then also when we think about being more powerful, so this could even, you know, this could be steep or it could be something more vert when you are powering up you need your glutes. And that is where you're going to generate a lot of the, um, you know, explosive power if we're trying to dead point to a hold or something like that. So being able to really just kind of target both of those as climbers is super, super important. And you have to literally be able to find your hamstrings first, and you have to know what it feels like to lengthen your glutes. So a lot of, women in particular, I find do not know what it feels like to lengthen their glute in a deadlift. They don't ever get the, they don't ever get this lengthening of kind of like the posterior, um, part of the pelvis because you have to lengthen a muscle in order to strengthen a muscle. I know we keep going back to biceps, but it's just like the easiest one for people to understand. If you don't do a full range of motion with a bicep curl, then you're not getting as much out of that bicep curl as you could. So yes, I understand that there, you know, we do like half rep ranges of motion stuff. Yes, I get that. But in general, we want to do full ranges of motion with an exercise literally the same thing with your glutes that we need the whole, we want the glute muscles to lengthen as we do things. And then we want them to contract and that enables us to strengthen them in the best way. Um, and there, this is not an easy one to explain on a podcast, like sort of the biomechanics and all of the stuff behind this, but just knowing that, for strengthening your glutes, one of the best things you can do is literally learn what it feels like to properly lengthen them during a hip hinge. And I also for years gave people, you know, band little banded walks where they would put the bands around their knees and do like steps forward and side to side and clamshells and all that stuff. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but what I am saying is that when you are doing those, you're actually not lengthening the glutes. So you're keeping them in more of kind of like, and this is glute mean in particular, but you're keeping it in more of a contracted state. So it doesn't go through that length and then back to contracted sort of relationship. Just, just keeping that in mind. Um, there are no bad exercises. There are just better ways to get what you want. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, sure. yeah, just throwing I, that out there. Yeah. And then like with the hamstrings, you have to make sure that 
when you're doing something that's a hinge oriented exercise, because that's most of the time how we get a lot of hamstring that you're actually using your hamstrings and you're not using your back. Um, because a lot of times that's what ends up happening is people are like, well, I'll just deadlift, but they're, they don't actually recruit the posterior chain. They're just lifting from their back. Um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of one of the main things I think, but well, and this is goes to anyone is that like climbers love to lift with their backs. because It's actually strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, mindset, motivation, psychology, this is clearly a massive part of of just something that a lot of people seem to come up against and need to navigate postpartum. And I definitely saw it in the survey and the two extremes I saw, obviously there's loads of difference, but different psychological barriers as well, but sort of people in the camp that are just like feel very insecure about devoting time to their own training and getting back to climbing that sort of like I shouldn't be doing it you know that it's maybe selfish that's a sort of one camp and then also this camp that's like I should be able to be back in shape in like two weeks and why am I not type camp um I don't know you obviously work with a lot more athletes and you probably can tell me more about the spectrum out there, but I don't know, did you, what was your personal experience? And is there any of these like quite common things you see? And are there any conversations you have that you feel like just really help people sort of get through those? Yeah, this is, this is a hard, hard part. And I, I find that in general, the more athletic experience somebody has, the harder this is because they are used to their body almost kind of being like a, a tool, if you will, that performs when they ask it to, and they are not used to not being able to perform. And it's a long time to not perform pregnancy. And then you go into this like recovery postpartum period. And sometimes you're just over it. You're like, I am ready to do stuff that feels, makes me feel like me again. Right. Um, So for me personally, I was able to find things that kind of scratch that itch, if you will, in a way that still felt appropriate for what I should be doing. Um, and I'm speaking mainly of after when I had my daughter who, um, is 15 months old, did I make some mistakes? Yep. Sure did. (laughs) Did I do some things too fast? Yep. Sure did. Um, just because I work in this space and I'm a trainer does not mean that I take my own advice very well or that I am perfect about this stuff. So please don't, you know, I don't want it to come across that way at all because I struggle with this just as much as anybody else out there. Um, but I, in general, I was able to find, like, I, I really love kettlebells. So that was one of the first things kind of after that initial postpartum period that I started with was just some, some kettlebell work that felt very familiar to me that I knew I was able to kind of like connect in the right way with, um, and that sort of stuff. So I think for addressing the, it's two weeks. Why am I not back to where I was? You want to think about this if you can in a very logical way. So if you think about when you first started climbing, you didn't magically in two weeks get to 
your hardest grade that you were climbing or, you know, your proudest send or something like that. Um, or if you've ever been injured at all, you have a graded return to climb. You have, uh, you know, it may take you six, eight weeks, so just depending on the injury um, to kind of get back to where you were. And although pregnancy is not an injury, we can almost kind of think of it as that same way where we've been through a bit of a period of deconditioning. We haven't been trying as hard and it just, is not logical to expect that you would be back to what you were doing before you went through that period. Understanding that your body just physiologically, that is not possible. Um, I think can, it can just kind of help because mm -hmm. then it helps you to manage your expectations because when you manage your expectations, well, then you feel a lot more motivated because you're not getting discouraged. And that's one of the things that can be really detrimental to somebody, um, committing to their training postpartum and things like that is when they feel discouraged, then they either are like, well, just screw it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, or they just get like really stuck and then their sport doesn't feel good to them. Like they don't love it anymore. Um, so really managing those expectations and knowing that postpartum, a good rule of thumb is kind of three month chunks. So knowing that every three months, you should be able to start to see an improvement. So during that first three months is, is just like very general, like I would expect somebody just to return to climbing in a way that felt just familiar and good, not even trying hard, just like for fun, literally for fun. And then maybe from three to six, you could take it up a notch from six to nine, take it up a notch. And then Unless there's something, you know, everybody is a little bit different, but just in general by a year, then you would expect to feel like, all right, like I can try hard again. I feel like I am, I'm back sort of. So that just kind of speaks to the more like, um, one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum that you talked about was just finding the mental space for not feeling guilty around wanting to go climb or wanting to go train. Um, and I, I really understand that as well, but I can just kind of speak personally towards what has helped me. And that is knowing that I, I'm a better mother. I'm a better wife. I'm a better human when I go and have some time for myself. Um, and you do have to be very particular with your time. Once you have one baby, once you have two, uh, because you just don't have time for all the things that you used to. So, um, you know, there are other things that I don't go do quite as much like, you know, I don't know, get my nails done or something like that, but it's like, I would rather like if I have to pick and choose, I want to go climb or I want to go train or, you know, this is my form sort of of self-care when I go do yeah. these things. And I know that when I don't do it, I feel like shit. I feel awful. And when I am able to have that time to myself, um, because it also helps me to remember that joy is a person. <laughs> I am a mother, but I am also my own person. And there is so much more to me than being Rosemary and Aiden's mom. Like, and I need to honor that and keep cultivating that. Um, so, and, and this has taken me a long time to kind of like, you know, sort of embody and really feel powerful in saying that, but it does not make me any less of a mother that I want to 
leave my baby with a babysitter and be able to go train. That does not make me a bad mom. Um, and when I come back, I'm very excited to see my baby and to spend time with her. And then I, it's like, I value our time together more. And then, you know, while I'm in the gym, it sounds so crazy, but then you're like, you're there training and you miss them. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, you know, that kind of dynamic, but for me, knowing that I'm going to feel better when I go do this for myself and I want I don't climb, you know, for my son, but I like, you know, my son and my daughter, it's important for them to see me doing things for myself because I want them to do things for themselves when they're an adult. I don't want them always to be, you know, having to serve other people. Obviously, I think there's value in that, but I want them to have things that they are selfish about, you know, that they are passionate about and that they want to be able to spend their time doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. It shows that that just caring about something and putting energy into something as well as I really like your point. And I think actually it applies to so many things that just doing one thing, it doesn't detract from you being something else. So no. still doing your own climbing, like you said, doesn't make you less of a mom. No. Yeah. So something I'm really interested to have your thoughts on, and this is pretty much our closing thing, is and I don't know how I would feel about this because I'm not there yet but inspirational postpartum journeys so mm -hmm. something we asked about was what people found motivating people they might follow that sort of thing and there's quite a mixed response in that I think some people look at it you know that climber that got back to their grade in whatever some quick amount of time or or you know I saw there was like a CrossFit lady and she was back like coming third at the CrossFit Games the next year and it is inspirational but I think also for some people, they're like, gosh, that just seems unrealistic and maybe it's mm -hmm. demotivating. Mm -hmm. And I guess just for you, I just wondered whether you find motivation externally, like, you know, maybe, or whether actually you think it's easier to just keep it a bit more intrinsic and for people to focus there and whether that potentially helps maintain their motivation better. This is tricky. I mm. think that when we see climbers or crossfitters, whatever it is, when we see them come back very quickly postpartum, that it is hard to not think of that as the norm. And it is not the norm. It is not at all. Um, I do think that we are coming into a period more, especially like on social media, where we are starting to see more women open up about struggles postpartum, whether that be kind of like um, weight stuff like Beth Rodden has done, or there's another um, mountain uh, mountain runner that I climbed that she has really struggled with pelvic pain postpartum. And I mean, she was a pro mountain climber. Uh, I'm sorry, a mountain runner, not mountain climber. But, um, you know, and just, just understanding that the, the norm is that it takes a while. That is normal. It is not normal that you are three months postpartum back to sending just like you were before. Maybe these people are blessed with like really good genetics and circumstances. Like we just don't know, um, but that should not be what the expectation is. So I think that the more we just see all types of journeys and knowing that you may get super lucky and be one of these short recovery period women, or you may just take a little bit longer. And both of those are totally okay. Um, and 
I do also firmly believe like when you're just kind of talking about things that motivate versus discourage, if for some reason you are seeing something and whether this is like somebody you follow or a relationship that you have, anything like that, if it makes you feel worse instead of better, you should curate that experience and unfollow that person or break up with that person (laughs) for a lack of better words. Uh, Because I mean, we don't want to look at things that make us feel bad or about about ourselves. We want to look at things that make us say, Hey, that really inspires me. That makes me feel good. That makes me understand that I can do this too. But if you're looking at something, you're like, I'm never going to be able to do that. Or I'm never going to look like that or like you feel jealousy or so like, that's not a good feeling. So I just, I would try to limit the exposure to things that made you feel like that. Um, But again, like the more we can get, hopefully, you know, like I'm 20 weeks pregnant right now. I have no idea what's going to happen to me postpartum. Like I really don't know because it's out of my control. Like I know I'm doing all the things that I can to have a good recovery, but I could be dealing with like prolapse and continence. Like, I mean, I just have no idea. So the more we just open up this conversation around expectations, kind of what is the norm? What is not the norm? um, I think it will help that experience to be a little, a little better um, for everybody. Yeah. I think that's, really good point and I I see it happening which is really great and I think it sort of comes back to the point of honesty as well with yourself that you mentioned along the way and being like because I think sometimes I chat to people and I think they think they should find it inspiring you know maybe following the people who have like bounced back at but maybe it's fine for them to be like you know what this is not helping me right now and I know I've done that with times Mm -hmm. and points when I've been injured and I'm like you know what I don't want to look at Instagram and what everyone else is doing right now because I can't do it. And like, maybe that doesn't make me feel that good, but actually objectively right now, what I need is not to see it. And like, I'm just going to focus on other things. So I think, I think that's really good. Um, And yeah, just like knowing yourself enough to say, Hey, I don't, it does not make me feel good to look at this. Yeah. And that's okay. Whatever. Don't look at it. Yeah. 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 Um, Oh, I feel like you've been so generous with time. It's been absolutely amazing. I was going to fire at you like a couple of quick closing questions just to round us off. And so I feel like we've talked a lot about pregnancy and postpartum. What is like the one thing you would say to a climber wanting to get pregnant in a year? Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) Because a lot of people might listen to this and they'll be like, I'm not there yet, but I will be at some point. I would say... Get a coach. <laughs> if you're interested in sending something hard, make it happen before you have your baby, just because it's, you know, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but your time changes, your priorities kind of change, stuff like that. So anyway, just from the more like athletic mindset joy, that's yeah. what I would tell somebody. But also from trainer joy side, I would tell them to learn how to breathe. And I know that sounds like very simple or maybe even kind of silly, but there is, it's hard for me to communicate how impactful and how powerful that is for your body. Um, and you're going to be so far ahead, uh, when we come, you know, when you're getting pregnant, training through pregnancy, postpartum, all that sort of stuff. Like you've already got that first big mountain climb that's done. Like, you know, how to, you know, connect with your deep core, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. I think that sounds quite good. Um, and then you've mentioned a few times your ideas um, changing around like the work you do and how you do. I guess I wonder what a standout thing or idea that has changed maybe most recently for you in your work. Oh, most recently. Or just a talk, or just like a big, a standout thing where you're um, like, you maybe thought that 10 years ago, you know, and it's something that's really changed in this space. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. I would say core exercises because I definitely used to like do like the five minute core, like lay on your back and do like crunches. And I mean, like, yeah, I was in that camp for sure. Um, years ago, but the more that I have learned, the more experience I have gained as a trainer, I understand that there are things that I can do that will benefit my performance a lot more when I'm looking at like, quote unquote, core. Um, I understand aesthetics are a thing, but I'm not coming from a bodybuilder perspective. Um, So yeah, I think like the biggest thing I've changed my mind about is, is core and the way that I approach it for myself, the way I approach it for people that I work with and what actually like good core exercises are. Um, And yeah. 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 No, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I will um, will link in the show notes here to Joy's Instagram. Uh, am I right in thinking that's the main yeah, thing you that's use probably, to sort of share yeah. your resources and stuff? Yeah, so we'll link that. Easy. And I really think that anyone should go there and look. A, all the content you put out there. I think <laughs> you share your personal experience, but also really good videos, which I think are really good for like actually understanding a lot of these things that you've talked about today. Yeah. Well, my goal is just to like provide people with, with information that I think is valuable for them to have. And even knowing what you don't know can be really helpful too, because, um, it it gives you the opportunity to explore and learn more about like, Hey, I actually want to learn more about how my glutes work or, you know, something of that nature. Mm -hmm.